Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. We got a lot of ground to cover this hour. We're going to talk NFL. We're going to talk uh, NBA. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 Conference. John Wilner will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour to talk about uh, you know what he sees on the horizon. I reported it today at johnconzano.com. Hope you're reading me there. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. But I reported today that the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors have verbally agreed on the grant of rights matters, meaning the revenue distributions. Oregon and Washington have to be happy because uh, it includes an incentive for the college football playoff. Basically, if you make the CFP, you get to keep a larger share. There's still a media rights deal that needs to be signed, and that is a hurdle that the Pac-12 is going to have to get over. But this is an important step, and it kind of shows that the 10 universities are galvanized. Our next guest was the very first guest on this radio show, oh, 17 years ago. Seems like yesterday that Peter Jacobson joined us to talk about his love for the University of Oregon and the state of Oregon and golf in general. And he is a father. He is a grandfather. He's a graduate of Lincoln High School in Portland, played golf at Oregon, turned professional. He's uh, won PGA events. He has uh, had a successful broadcasting career. Man of the world, Peter Jacobson, joining us. How's that intro? How'd I do? You know, John, that just tells me what I already know, that I'm old, as are you. (laughs) I know. I look up and I go, man, it just was like yesterday. We were sitting here. It was like 2007. We had Peter. And you know what? It was intentional that you were the first guest. I wanted a true Oregonian, and I wanted somebody who was from this state because, Peter, they could have kicked me off air 15 minutes later, and at least I could have said I interviewed Peter Jacobson. <laughs> well, I believe uh, President Barack Obama fit in there somewhere, didn't he? Yeah, he was right after you. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, you were the wow. opening act, though. <laughs> wow, yeah. Oh, that, that's fantastic. How you doing? I'm doing well. I, I will get to the LIV PGA stuff, but what, tell people what you're doing now. Where are you? What, what are you up to? You were on a plane yesterday. Yeah, I was on a plane. I'm, I'm in New York. Boy, the, the air quality is bad. It, uh, a lot of us in the state of Oregon that have lived through the, the forest fires, they're having forest fires up in Canada. I'm, I'm, I'm up in, uh, like I said, up in New York, and we're getting – a lot of the the air quality problems that we have in Oregon from time to time, and and it's uh, yeah, it's hazy and you can smell it. So no matter where you are in the country, that that's the worst thing you could you could imagine: forest fires ravaging any part of the land, whether it's United States, Canada, or anywhere else in the world. You uh, you are watching this PGA stuff unfold, and I know we talked to you last year about a year ago about it, and. Pumpkin Ridge was hosting the first event uh, that LIV was putting out. And what do you make of the reversal, the, the you know, these two entities coming back together and saying, all right, we're going to get married, never mind the fighting? Well, I don't know if it's so much of a marriage. It, it's it's not a merger. And that's the one thing. As you well know, uh, headline writers are always looking for quick, short, 
uh, impactful headlines. Merger is not a word that I would use because it's not a merger. This is a, I would call it a meeting of the minds from what I know. Now, again, I, I haven't been privy to all the inside information. I don't know who has, but from what I've gleaned from, from sources and friends of mine, the PGA Tour, well, let, let, let me back up. Money, as you know, dominates the world of sports. And from what I understand, the PIF, the Public Investment Fund from Saudi Arabia, they wanted to own the world of golf. So they were going to do it any way they possibly could. That's why Live was born. They wanted to do their own tour. They wanted to be able to control the game. And that's why they paid hundreds of millions of dollars to these players to defect from the tour. Or I shouldn't say defect. Basically, they paid these players to retire from the PGA Tour. Brooks, Phil, Bryson, a lot of these players, they just stopped playing on the PGA Tour, which is their right. If somebody came to me and gave me $200 million to go home and not play on the PGA Tour or not do broadcasting, I'd have to take a long, hard look at it. So (laughs) they wanted to be able to get involved in golf in a big way, and they did. I think... Obviously, attitudes change and and things shift in the game of golf, like in any sport. And I think the PGA Tour was kind of up against it. We had a big litigation going with the public in, uh, investment fund, the PIF, the Saudi Arabia group. And we all know how much money they have, and they could probably get into some protracted litigation that's going to cost billions of dollars and take years. So... I'm not speaking for Monahan. I don't know this, but something tells me that he he decided that he was going to take the easy way out, the financially the financially prudent way out. Join forces. They're forming a new company, uh, so a lot of the money that's going that used to go to live is going to go into the PJ Tour now. So, again, all the de- the details have have yet to be flushed out. It's a memorandum of understanding from what I hear. So there's nothing set in stone and the details are still to be ironed out, which which is scary in its own right. Help us out because you've been privy to those uh, you know, meetings when tour players need to discuss matters and discuss where you know what direction the tour is gonna play. As a player on the tour, not being looped in by Monaghan, how big of a problem is that? Or do you think most guys are going to understand, hey, you needed to do that in order to get the deal done? I think it's a big problem right now that nobody was looped in. I think it's a public perception. Certainly it's a player perception. A lot of these players that that held the line, that stayed loyal to the tour, that passed up the, the millions from, from live tour, I think feel a little bit, Betrayed maybe would be a good word or shocked left kind of standing at the altar because everybody has expressed their support for the tour as I have been. And all of a sudden it turns around and nobody knows the details, as I said. And one of the things that I've always learned to do, I've put my foot in my mouth many times and I've jumped to conclusions when, when the best, the best case would be to wait, until you know all the details. And and that's what I'm choosing to do. I really trust. I've been on the policy board three times over my years. 
and the independent directors that sit on the board and the commissioner at the time, we've only had four, and Jay is the fourth in the history of the PJ Tour when it was formed in 1969. I, I really trust these guys, and I think they're making the right decision on what is best for the PGA Tour players. But like you said, when I when I started, John, there were no title sponsors. There was no corporate money. And boy, you look at you look at the price of poker on the PGA Tour. You look at the Blazers organization. I read your article about Phil trying to buy the Blazers the other day. Look at how the franchise, the value of that franchise has changed in two years. So it is money. I think a lot of these people would, would, would claim long live the dollar because it's not going anywhere. Let's go back to, you know, your entrance onto the tour, turned professional in 1976. The money was not what it is today. Did you at that time feel money was driving it, or has it just been in more recent years with television money and, and larger sponsorship deals entering the fray? Yeah, I think it's only been a, it's been a sea change probably over the last 20 years, 25 years. When I came out and played the tour, it was because I loved the game. I could raise a family and, and make a career uh, out of it, and, and I did. But again, the money, gosh, I used to run around the country on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and do pro-ams and clinics and appearances for 500 bucks. A thousand bucks, jump on an airplane, fly from East Coast to West Coast to, for for five hundred bucks, uh, because that was that was my job. It, it bothers me now that it is all driven by the dollar. Look, we know that in the NBA and the NFL uh, and Major League Baseball, we see these huge contracts by these players, and I do not begrudge them. But the one thing about team sports is you're paid by either who you were or who the owner hopes you're going to be. What I've always loved about the game of golf is you get paid on what you do today. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel a bit of a departure from that. Live paid players on who they were and who they hope to be. Nobody got paid for who they are right now, and that's what the PGA Tour does. And I worry, I really worry about where, where it's going when it's all about dollars. Peter Jacobson, our guest, uh, professional golfer and commentator. The players who held an ethical, made an ethical stand, Tiger Woods, for example, he didn't need the money, but he could have, he could have joined the Live Tour and made eight hundred million dollars, and you made a million dollars a hole for playing the tournaments. Um, I have to wonder what he and some of the other players who who stood the line, what how they're going to feel about you know, maybe engaging and having to uh, having to see this merger come back together. Let me just put you in that in that position because I don't want you to speak for someone else. If you were one of those golfers, Peter, who had given up that kind of money and and uh, you know out of principle, and then saw the tour flip flop, how would you handle that? Would that be a private conversation with Monahan? Would you be hopping mad? You know, how much of a team player publicly do you have to be with the PGA Tour? I would, I would, as I said earlier, I would m- want to make sure I knew every aspect, every every piece of information, all the details before I made a, a final decision. But based on what you just said, if I had been in my prime and had been 100, offered 100 to 200 million dollars, uh, 
it, it, it'd be a hard thing to stomach. But one of the things I want to point out is Liv paid these players to basically retire. They basically paid them to be the Harlem Globetrotters of golf. It's a, it's a highly paid, highly skilled exhibition with, with the, the outcome is of no consequences. It's like the Globetrotters beating the Washington Generals over and over and over again. Now, with this new situation, we don't know if there's going to be a live tour in 24 or beyond. Nobody knows that. Hmm. And that's part of the, that's part of the speculation that everybody has right now as to what's live going to do. Where are the players going to go? Are they going to come back? Are they going to keep their money? Are they, are they going to face a suspension? Are they going to face a fine? Nobody knows that. Those would be the questions that I would be asking right now. You mentioned uh, Phil Knight. We're, you know, we've been talking a lot about him potentially owning the Blazers. Uh, you, you've gotten to know him over the years, and as an Oregon grad, you're familiar with his success and his story. Um, what kind of owner, NBA team owner? You know the Blazers. What kind of owner would Knight be if he ever got that chance? I think Phil would be a tremendous owner. Don't, don't forget, I went down into the bowels of Nike way back, probably 80, 81, with a, with a designer named Rick Long and, uh, and Peter Moore, and we, we built the first golf shoe mm-hmm. and walked upstairs and dropped it on Phil's desk and Rob Strasser, the late Rob Strasser, and for everybody that's watched that movie Air about Phil signing Michael Jordan, that's pretty true to form. Uh, we walked up there and dropped the golf shoe on his desk, and Phil said, Peter, you know how much I dislike golf. And I said, yeah, but guys like Jordan and Robinson and Barkley love golf. So he begrudgingly gave me the gave us, I should say, a budget to be able to create a golf shoe, and the rest is history. We know how great the Nike golf shoe line has been and, and will continue to be. But Phil Knight is an open, understanding kind of guy that I think would be a fantastic owner. And I think just all you have to do is look at the success of Nike from where it was when it was Blue Ribbon Sports. When I was stacking boxes for Peter Moore at Blue Ribbon Sports to where Nike is today, I think that speaks volumes about what a fantastic owner Phil would be. You played alongside uh, Kevin Costner in Tin Cup. We bring up sports movies. That movie always comes up as one of the best sports movies. I got to know what Costner was like on a set of a movie. Costner was unbelievable. Don't forget Ron Sheldon, who had done White Men Can't Jump and Bull Durham. He wanted to feel like a PGA Tour event. There were there were probably fifteen or twenty PGA Tour event PGA Tour players that were on set at any one time. We rotated in and rotated out. But Costner was Costner loved golf. He worked with his with with his buddy Gary McCord on his golf swing, and on set he was so great to the to the pros, to the actors, to the extras that stood in the gallery watching him pump pump three woods into that water on eighteen. But we had footballs. There were baseball gloves and uh, and, and baseballs. There was a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fun. On the set, I, I just I just can't tell you how much fun Kevin Costner was when we shot that movie. We're talking to Peter Jacobson, professional golfer and commentator. Um, you know, there, golf I think lends itself 
to great storytelling because of the downtime between rounds, because of the downtime that you have maybe, uh, you know, when you're on the course even. You know, I'm watching baseball with the pitch clock, and I'm thinking, you know what we're losing, Peter, is we're losing like the Vin Scully broadcaster who can tell a story during an inning because the game has, has been sped up. Um, you know, as you have talked over the years at banquets and at golf events, you know, you always tell great stories about what the tour was like and what it is like. What what are your memories when, you know, you got comfortable on the tour and guys let their guard down? Who pops into your mind when I when I say that? You know, what, what the scene was like, if you could take us with you. I was so lucky, John, when I got my card, I signed with Mark McCormick right out of college. And I was thrown in with the likes of Gary Player and Arnold Palmer and Raymond Floyd. Uh, Curtis Strange, who's still one of my best friends today, he and I were young rookies signed with IMG. And, and, it, and it's different than team sports because back then we would be thrown into a pro-am on a Monday in, in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And those players, Palmer, Floyd, uh, Bob Golby, they would just say, guys, nice to meet you. Just watch us and do what we do. So we would do a clinic, we'd play golf, and then we'd have dinner. And it was a it was a master class in how to interact with people, how to get along with people. Don't forget, when a golf pro plays in a pro-am with four brand new people, he has to read that room. He has to read those four players and try to figure out the nuance of those individuals and their games quickly uh, so they enjoy their four-and-a-half, five-hour round together. But I think the guy that I learned the most from was, was Arnold. Arnold Arnold never had a bad day. He never met someone that didn't feel like they were his best friend. And I, I all of us were so lucky to be able to walk with Arnold, play with Arnold, and just be around him when he greeted people. He didn't blow anybody off. Someone would walk up to Arnold on a golf course, or in the clubhouse, or on the street, or in a bar. And they would recognize Arnold, and Arnold would turn, look them in the eye, shake their hand, and 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 kibitz with them. And and that, I think that's missing in the world. I, I think one of the things, kindness costs you nothing to be kind to somebody. In fact, you have to work hard at being a jerk. You've got, you've got to think about it. And, and so I, when I go back to those days, and I, I remember when I first started doing TV at the Skins game, I did it with Vin Scully, with Don Olmeyer and Vin Scully. And I remember hearing Vin tell the stories and the way that he would weave a story in between the shots at the Skins game, if you remember the Skins game over mm-hmm. Thanksgiving yep. with the four players, he would weave in great stories uh, and, and different different comments and little funny little funny little anecdotes about the players that that I was always I was always amazed at at those at those wordsmiths the people that could really turn a phrase and tell a story so I, I count myself really lucky to have come along when I did to be able to to meet people was I the best player in golf no was I the worst no but I certainly had a chance to watch and learn from the best in the game Give me an idea, though. 83 and 86, you're at the PGA Championship. You finish in the top three. You know, you, uh, you're playing well. Are, is it, is it uh, when you're in that kind of setting and you're headed to a Sunday and you're in the hunt, 
is it uh, does it change your mentality? Do you wake up a little less cordial to people around you, a little more focused, or how do you manage that as a player? Because you kind of want to keep you want to be loose, but also focused. Yeah, no, you're right, and and that and that's a great that's a great question. I think one of the things that the tour has always done with PGA Tour or, or the the majors uh, major championships is. They understand that. So when a player parks his car and he walks into the clubhouse, uh, that's the one thing. When I'm doing television and I'm on the range looking at players, watching them prepare, I don't bother them. If Rory or Tiger or or Victor Hovland comes back to me and talks to me, I will I will talk to them. But I don't go up and bother them. I don't get up in their face and ask them questions. And I think that's the one thing to do. But, again, I'll go back to what I learned from Arnold. When people came up to ask you a question, it was because they genuinely liked you or they genuinely liked the game. And you had, you had one opportunity to impress upon him, that person, that him, that girl or man or child, uh, how much you love the game in return and how much you appreciate them being there. And I think from player to Palmer – to Nicholas, I think we all we all, all learned those valuable lessons over time. Peter Jacobson, you're the best. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, I want to know more, and I think you're right. The devil's going to be in the details when we see what this partnership looks like, and maybe it ends up being that hey, they just wanted an investment stake in the PGA, and that's the concession that Monahan made to 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 make it go away. But do you think? Last question: Do you think the golfers who were sort of outspoken LIV ambassadors, will they be welcomed back with open arms by the tour players? I think that's probably the question of the day. I think a lot of players that left and took the live money and went away, if they did, let me give you an example. Harold Varner III, one of the few black players on tour. Harold Varner took the money. I love Harold Varner, and I miss seeing him play. He took the money and he went, but he was very honest. He said, I love the tour, but I'm taking this. This is, this is generational money for me and my family. He went away, he played his golf, and he never said anything bad about anybody on the tour. Somebody like Harold Varner, I think, would be welcomed back with open arms. But there are a couple other players, and you know probably who I'm talking about, that had a lot of critical, negative, angry comments and tweets about the PGA Tour, the, let's not forget, the PGA Tour gave them the platform that made them who they are. It, it's like your mom and dad raising you and sending you to Stanford and all of a sudden turning your back on your mom and dad saying, you know what, I don't know them a thing. They, they, didn't do me, they didn't do me a solid when I was a kid. So some players will be a welcome back, probably others. I want to tell you one last story, John, and I don't mean yeah, to be long with you. No, we got all kinds of time. 1994, I was playing with Arnold Palmer in Greg Norman's Shark Shootout in L.A. Norman called an emergency player meeting up in the boardroom. We all went up there, and it was the players at the time, my, my, my guys, Crenshaw, Litke, Payne Stewart, Curtis, Nick Price, uh, that, that type of player. And Norman presented the World Tour, which we know now as the Live Tour, he presented it back in 94, and he said we'd all have to quit the tour. We'd have to rescind our membership, resign our membership from the tour, and join his tour, and it was all money. 
Last place was a hundred grand. First place was five hundred grand. It was money, money, money. And we all looked at each other in the in the room. And Arnold was sitting to my right, and he looked at Greg and he said, "Greg, do you remember the big three? And Greg said, "Yeah, that was you, Gary Player, and Jack Nicholas." Arnold said, "That's right." How many times do you think people approached us about leaving the tour and forming our own tour? And Greg said, "Probably quite a few." He said, "Yep." And you know why we didn't do it? because it would have been bad for the game. It would have confused the fans. It would have confused the players and it would confuse the communities and the charities we support in those communities. And he looked at all of us and he said, you guys are all young. You do whatever you want, but I don't want a thing to do with this. And he got up, walked out and slammed the door. Wow. And guess what? He was right because there is so much acrimony and confusion and backbiting in the game of golf. It reminds me of politics, Democrats versus the Republicans, and I hate that. I hate that for the game. Peter Jacobson, you're the best. Thank you for giving us your time. You got it, John. Thanks for having me. Take care. There he is. Jake, good stuff from Peter Jacobson, first guest ever on this radio program, and uh, always appreciate hearing from him and getting his uh, expertise, especially the stories that he could tell, like that story right there. It's going to be really interesting to see where this all lands. Uh, is this a merger? No, says uh, Jacobson. No, says uh, Golf's Jay Monahan, PGA Tours Jay Monahan. But uh, where are the details? Let Let's see the letter of agreement. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. I don't know how you feel, felt about that interview just a moment ago, but uh, it's interviews like that that really remind me that like sometimes the best part of the show is just when we're having a conversation with somebody who's got expertise that is uh, beyond uh, comprehension in a lot of ways. There's, there's just a level of expertise that an individual like Peter Jacobson has in being around golf for the better part of, you know, 45, 50 years and playing on the tour, and playing on the championships tour, and playing in the Masters, and playing uh, in the PGA Championship, and the British Open, and uh, being a guy who, uh, you know, has been a top 10 finisher three times in three majors, and, you know, seven wins on the tour, uh, two champion wins, and now a golf commentator. But this guy was the, uh, in 1996, was the, uh, you know, number 15 golfer in, uh, in the rankings, and great career. Golf Channel, and then on to uh, obviously being part of uh, the television broadcast that you see now uh, with golf. Uh, Stephen, let's do some quick takeaways from that interview. Uh, I thought it was really wise that Jacobson said, you know, I put him in the position of Tiger Woods in particular. Tiger Woods was offered $800 million to basically play 754 holes of golf last year if he had gone to the LIV Tour. He would have made more than a million dollars per hole played. He turned it down, matter of ethics, stayed with the tour that made him great and provided the opportunities for him. He's now watching golf, uh, you know, basically take the money. I thought it was interesting for Jacobson to say, I asked him, how would you feel? And he says, basically, I would first want to know all the details of what's going to happen. That is a very mature outlook because most of us, would just have a knee-jerk reaction. And I think, you know, I do find myself being, uh, you know, I go to send that email. I may hold it for 24 hours now. You know, if you know what I mean? 
you go to you go to fire off that text that when you're fired up about something and you go, ah, you know what, what's the good that comes out of that? Peter Jacobson, a very measured approach at 69 years old, saying, I would want to know the details. What else jumped out at you, or what did you think of that? Yeah, that, that comment really jumped out because it's like, I'm with you. I would just freak out right away. Like, I would be mad that PGA made this deal. Be like, and I just turned down $800 million. Like, why did I do this? But no, you know, Peter Jacobson, great, great mindset says, you know what? Let's, let's, let's relax a little bit. Let's figure it out and then figure it out at the next play. I thought that was great. The stories were great as well. I mean, the fact that, you know, he's talking about this kind of happened back in the day and they just put their foot down. Jack Nicholas has said, you know, it's not, you know, the money is it's not even about that. Like, let's not make it about that and slams the door. It, it it shows the real the the funness of sports sometimes right like it's it shouldn't be about the money but it is because it's their job but sometimes we just want to have the pure joy of sports and some guys some guys have that some guys it's not even necessarily about all the money they're gonna make money and make life changing money and that is but sometimes it's not and it's always refreshing to hear you know some of the best that ever to do it uh, have that kind of feeling about it yeah and I think too you know. I thought it was interesting because he right away he corrected me when I said, you know, how do you feel about this marriage? And he says, wait a minute, it's not a marriage. It's not a merger. It, it's, you know, it may be gone. Like, Liv may be gone here in the coming years. I think that's an interesting point that I think the problem that Jay Monahan, the PGA commissioner, has is that everybody saw the fight, and now they've seen sort of the resolution and it looks as though, okay, these two things are going to merge together and whatnot. But not a merger, not a marriage. It may just be as simple as the LIV money is coming into the PGA fold. They're going to let them be an investor, and they're going to take, you know, they're going to take the money. And I think that's a really interesting distinction as well. But, but isn't it still the same thing? Isn't it still? Kind of, yeah, to you and I, a hundred percent. To me, it's still the same thing where they're just they're taking the money. That's what it's about. And they're still whether they want to say they're you know, merging with LIV or it's just a deal with the LIV or they're just taking their money. Like they're still in bed with the LIV and they said they weren't going to, they said, you know, we have, we have ethics and we have stuff to go against. And they went against all those words that they said all of a sudden in one big swoop without telling anybody. So it, do just, you, do you think it'd be different though, if they had never been competing entities and the PGA tour just took an investment that had Saudi fingerprints on it. I think it's a little different, yes, because they were so against it, and it was it wasn't just this is our competitor. It was this is hateful, and we don't stand for what they what they are. And it's like they were being shunned. They weren't allowed to be in you know be in the same arena as the PGA Tour. Like we are way above this group. Um, you know we're not about that. And then all of a sudden. Well, you're gonna pay us enough money, we'll take it. So I don't I I think it'd be a little different had they not been so out in the open and against what Live Golf was about from the get go. I mean it wasn't just like you know, in the middle of it. It was once they formed, yeah. they were against it. And they were outspoken about it. Uh it really interesting to see how this all shakes out, but just a great interview. I love the storytelling as well and and love uh hearing from him, uh you know, hearing from Peter Jacobson. Uh, as uh, as he uh, sort of digests this, and I, I think we really did hear him sort of wrapping his mind around it and wrapping his mind around sort of the idea that this is happening. Uh, all right, coming up, we'll have the 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, will be joining us in the 5 p.m. hour. Wilner told me something today, and I'm going to ask him more about it. He told me he believes that the Pac-12 knows the media rights numbers that they're going to get and that they feel good about them that he 
felt that there was a shift in mentality in February and March, and suddenly the Pac-12 kind of started going, we know we're going to be okay. What did he mean by that? I'll ask him coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as the Pac-12 is looking to put all of this behind it. Ten members, uh, I reported it today in case you're just tuning in, you missed it. Uh, if you read me at johnconzano.com, you know this, but the Pac-12 uh, presidents and chancellors over the last month or so have come to an agreement on the grant of rights. Now, what is the grant of rights? Well, it's all the stuff that isn't the media rights. It's revenue sharing when it comes to the media rights deal, what kind of sponsorships can be sold by the conference, uh, what kind of rights the, uh, you know, air quotes here, rights include. Uh, like, does it include data rights? Does it include, uh, you know, tier one, tier two? So all of that is spelled out in the grant of rights. The biggest takeaway I had is that the Pac-12, like the ACC and some others, are going to an incentive-based distribution when it comes to the college football playoff. Oregon and Washington have to love this. And I think it is the move that makes Oregon and Washington really feel good about being part of the Pac-12. Because Oregon and Washington value college football playoff access, and they're spending more than some others to try to get that. So the budget's at Oregon and Washington higher than some other schools. Well... I am told by sources that the grant of rights has an incentive-based layout when it comes to the college football playoff, meaning if you make the playoff, you keep a larger share. Uh, Oregon fans, Washington fans have to love that. You know, if you're an Oregon State fan, you probably love it because you probably see an opportunity for your school to get there. We'll talk more about that in the 5 o'clock hour, but I want to talk about PGA and LIV. What did you make of what Peter Jacobson said? Uh, is there a clean way out of this for the PGA? Will you watch going forward? And how would you feel? Let's just, I want to put you in the shoes of Tiger. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.